everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Appetizing Conversations podcast. I'm your host and creator, Tashi Brown. The global pandemic of COVID-19 has us all pivoting a bit from our normal routine. So I'm taking the show from the studio to my home so I can bring you much needed content. If you follow Appetizing Conversations on Instagram, then you know my intent is to empower Black women with vital conversations that awaken our senses, inspire change, while feeding our soul with good food. Recently, I've been highlighting the importance of mental health and wellness for Black women. However, with the current state of affairs and with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I think it's only right to include the entire community, including our Black men, on this essential conversation. To help navigate this topic is Dr. Nicole Kamak. Dr. Kamak is a licensed clinical psychologist who is passionate about mental health awareness, treatment, and reducing the mental health stigma, particularly as it relates to Black communities. This passion led to the development of Black Mental Wellness Corps, where she serves as the president and CEO. Further, Dr. Kamak is the program director of the Primary Care Mental Health Integration Clinic, where she provides mental health services to veterans, including individual therapy, couples therapy, and therapeutic groups that focus on race-based trauma, military sexual trauma, and resilience. She is an active participant on several leadership councils through the Veterans Medical Center and leads the Diversity Training Subcommittee, where she promotes diversity and cultural competency among psychology graduate trainees. Dr. Kamek received her bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in human development from Howard University and her master's degree and PhD in clinical psychology from the George Washington University. Additionally, she completed a specialized postdoctoral fellowship with the Center for School Mental Health at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Dr. Kamak resides in Washington, D.C. and is an active member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. She enjoys traveling and spending time with her lovely daughter, family, and friends. Welcome to Appetizing Conversations. Dr. Kamek, we are so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. That intro, I was feeling myself after that. <laughs> yes, you should. You should. You know, we, we definitely need to hype ourselves up every now and again. And I feel it's only right that we do that for you. Um, but before we get deep into discussion today, I want to shout out a fellow Howard alum of yours who's making our ability to cook at home both flavorful and fashionable. Angel Anderson is a spice curator who's turning heads and taste buds as the owner of the Spice Suite in Washington, D.C. Not only does the Spice Suite offer a diverse array of herbs, honey, spices, and fashionable cookware, but she lends herself to other female creatives whom she calls the Spice Girls by hosting business events and allowing them to showcase their products free of charge at her spice bar. Angel has definitely leveled up my cooking game. When I say leveled up, she has leveled up. And now some of her products are available online. For a taste, visit the Spice Suite on Facebook, on, I'm sorry, on Facebook and Instagram today. Have you had a chance to have some of Angel's spices? No, but I follow her on Instagram. And like the other day, she made like homemade cinnamon toast crunch. And I'm like, who even thinks of that? <laughs> but I'm like forever watching her recipes. Like the, she makes it look so simple and delicious at the same time. 
exactly. And fun too. Mm -hmm. um, and she has her music playing in the background and she encourages others to say, look, if I can do this, I am no chef. You can too. Right. So, um, I'm, I get excited when I see her spice box coming out, but they always get sold out. They so sell out so quickly. Yes. And she has a great story. So again, I encourage everyone to check her out on Instagram. But speaking of stories, Dr. Kamek, tell us your story and your inspiration behind Black Mental Wellness Corps. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even know where to start with my story per se. I think if I, I looked, like I was thinking about this recently, um, I started thinking about psychology just like as a field from a sixth grade teacher. So he was actually like my favorite teacher in sixth grade and he was in school finishing up his degree and he was going into psychology and he sort of like pulled me aside one day and share his story and I'm like hmm and then fast forward all of these years and it was like I went to college I went into psychology but I don't think I realized the impact of this field and what I could do with it when I first went to undergrad. So it really was about mentors and experiences and jobs and really getting out there and figuring out, oh, this is what I'm interested in. And so with Black Mental Wellness, we actually, it started like I was working on a military base mm -hmm. and um, I mean, sort of kind of shamefully, but what they do is like, if you're, I was the only black psychologist there. They had different mental health professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers. Um, and in the clinic that I worked in, there were two psychologists and I was the only black psychologist there. They had a black uh, clinical social worker at the time. Now they have two, I think. And what they would do is I would get all the women service members and he would get all the um, men service members who were black. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes depending, like if one of us didn't have an opening, you know, we might, I en might end up with some men, but they were overwhelmingly, we would get the black people. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is I have worked before that primarily with families, couples, children, adolescents. And for the first time, and generally they love coming to therapy, right? Like children are, they, Unless they're being forced by parents, they would always want to be there for the most part. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, especially when you're like, I would be like in the schools. Oh, it would be like, is it my day? Come get me. So I was like always, <laughs> I felt welcome, you know, like wanted. Um, when I worked on this base, what ends up happening was like, you could see black people in session sort of having a battle with themselves about being there like um, not wanting to accept that, you know, what you're experiencing right now is depression or this is trauma or that is anxiety. It's like, no. Um, when they would cry, it would always be like this. I'm so sorry. I should be stronger than this. I shouldn't complain. Um, and it was just, it was frustrating. Mm -hmm. And so one week, I, uh, one of the um, therapists was out and they were like, oh, can you cover some of her patients? So now I'm getting like, people that I haven't worked it with, but just doing like a check-in session. And I had a white man come in and he's like, you're my therapist? Okay, and he just started talking. And I'm like, wow, even in therapy, you see where 
there are these differences. Like he didn't care. There was no stigma he was holding with him. He didn't care about a label. He just needed that therapeutic space. And so what it started out with was me trying to find resources where I could share with my Black clients, like this is how depression looks among Black women. So, or this is how it looks among Black men. So that irritability you're experiencing, those physical body pains, your stomach, the headache, that you know, that's depression or this is anxiety. And I had this information from grad school, but it was no information where you could like give it to the everyday person. Like I'm not going to give them articles. And honestly, the only information at the time, this was 2016, I had these... Um, articles from Essence Magazine about like the Black Superwoman Syndrome and things like that. And that's how I started like sharing the information. And so one day I like, I talked to other colleagues, like, where do you go if you want your clients, patients to understand what mental health looks like in a Black community? There was nothing. And so I said, well, I need to create it. And part of creating that, I knew because I would also get people saying, I didn't know there were Black psychologists. And I'm like, what? We out here. So I knew that it wasn't just important to give the information, but it was important to align myself with people who looked like me so that when they see the company, you see a range of Black mental health professionals. And so I sort of sought out people that I had worked with personally, whether it was in grad school, undergrad, or on my postdoc fellowship, who I knew shared that same um, motivation and meaning, purpose in their field as me. And that's how it was created. Wow, that's a great story. What kind of services do you all offer? Um, we do a range. So we, the main thing that we wanted to give out was like those free resources. So if you go to our website at um, www.blackmentalwellness.com, we have like a range of mental health um, information. So from what does, what are these different disorders and illnesses? How do you cope and things like that? So number one is how do we educate our community? Number two, what we provide, we do a lot of um, we can we provide workshops and trainings and so one of our first contracts was really going into detroit and working with um, this program they have saturdays in a d and it was a supplemental program to the public school system but what they do is each saturday the kids could go for free and they would get different um, access to different workshops and we were the mental health workshop and we provided it to um, all the kids in the programs and it was really teaching kids about what is mental health, what are emotions, what are some healthy ways of expressing it, what are some challenges you're dealing with, and how do you manage that? And that was across elementary through high school. So we do workshops and trainings. We've been doing, um, well, now a lot of things have been cut short, but doing retreats. So um, whether it's for an employer like... Um, a lot of employers have reached out to us in terms of, you know, staff morale is low, stress is high. What are some ways that we can have this retreat to sort of rejuvenate, learn how to support our staff better, things like that. Um, and now we are, because we were in the middle of planning programs that we want to put on um, for the community. Um, and now we're in the process of changing things to be in a virtual format. So we're also having to be flexible during all of this. 
Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. When you when you mentioned the fact that you're starting at an early age, you're having those workshops with with young children all the way up to high school. I did not have that growing up. Neither did I. Yeah, I think a lot of us in the Black community did not, um, at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of other Black women, we're so conditioned to um, just handle it. You know, mm-hmm. just make sure we have it all together to be strong. And I remember my um, family members always saying, don't put our business in the street. Yeah. So <laughs> yep. that's um, I can't tell nothing what's going on in this house, you know, whether mm-hmm. I'm feeling sad, mad, happy, or, um, you know, it was always that thin line. So I'm happy to hear that your, your corporation is doing more to, to let kids know that it's okay to you mm-hmm. to express yourself. And I'm sure those teachers and those workshops are hearing that and bringing it back to their family and, and talking more about it. So I love to hear that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, just mentioning to you, you know, just my own upbringing and always having to be on guard with my feelings and opening up to others, there's dire consequences to that. You know? Yes. There's absolutely some dire consequences, whether it's um, not being able to trust others, not wanting to show what the Black community perceives as, I guess, a little bit of weakness because you want to, um, you know, vent or you uh-huh. want to seek help. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was a big one for me. Um, and I mean, just speaking to what you're saying too, it's like, even um, watching how we raise our kids and what we allow them to express and what we place judgment on. You know, like now my life is, a, is different from how I grew up and I have a more diverse friend group, but I watch my friends with their kids and it's like, you know, if their son is playing with a doll, it's okay. If their son cries, they like comfort him and, you know, like hug him and talk it out and things like that. And I just know like, you know, growing up in how, I, I mean, even now it's like you hear people, you're a boy, stop crying. Boys don't cry. You can't do this. And it's like, okay, well, if we keep forcing our children to suppress their feelings, how do you expect them to become adults who are in touch with their feelings and that can express it and learn how to manage it and deal with it? Um, you're just creating adults who suck it up, who suppress, and then you're either dealing with what that looks like when you internalize it, you know, and it's just like, or you could allow children that safe space so that as they're growing up, they feel confident, they know what they're feeling, what they can do to manage it. And it's not something that they have to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it goes back to during that time when I was working on the military base and really seeing people like they were like ashamed of being in therapy. And the analogy I always use with um, really is like people of color a lot of times, um, all people of color. But I always say, you know, if and I try to use a condition that I might know they have or that they can speak to. Right. Like if you have diabetes or high blood pressure um, or you have an injury, what, what happened when you went to the doctor? Oh, my doctor you know, they checked my vitals, they did the blood work, and then they came up with the treatment plan. Like you need to take this medication, these are some foods that you can eat, 
There's the exercise that you need to do. And no one made you feel ashamed about that, right? Like no one said you should pray about that or you should be able to handle your blood pressure. You shouldn't have to take this medication. It's, it's the opposite. It's like, did you listen to your doctor? Make sure you take your medication. You shouldn't get sick or your, you know, your, your, insulin, your blood sugar going down. Make sure you eat right or whatever. So why can't we think of mental health in the same way? Like you're a full person, mind, body, spirit, and the same way that your doctor can prescribe and think about your physical health, how can we think about your mental health? So you're coming here and you're processing, you know, whatever you're feeling, your experiences, whatever your stressors are. I'm going to give you some things that we're going to work on in here. Here are some things that you can work on outside of here. In addition to that, the same way I'm going to prescribe. It's important to watch what you're eating. It's important to exercise. It's important to get proper sleep. It's important to engage in activities that help you to feel better, to be around people who uplift you. What's so bad about that? Nothing at all. <laughs> the conditioning though. Yeah. Conditioning. We have, mm-hmm. oh, my, I, we, we have gone through some trauma as black people. We have, and I think in order and to cope with it, we have put up so many defense mechanisms and, and ways to get by, like, oh, baby, this too shall pass. Yes. And, <laughs> and, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get through it. And like you said, we'll pray about it. And not to disregard prayer and God, because those are things that are valuable to us and keep us Absolutely. Going. But there has to be, I, I believe, a, a combination. Uh, like uh-huh. you, when you go to the doctor, you have a high blood pressure. There's a regimen. There's mm-hmm. an absolute regimen to get better. And I, and I think it is going to take some work for us to, um, to make therapy normal. Mm-hmm. To and make- that's exactly what I try to share with people. Like, um, whatever your beliefs are, you can use that as a coping strategy. So you don't want to remove that from your healing journey. That doesn't have to be separate from therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times, you know, and now that I'm working at the VA hospital, one of our questions on the intake is, is religion or spirituality important to you? Because if that's important to you, then I want to make sure one, that you know about our chaplain services and the, the services they provide. And if you ever need access, you have it here. But two, as we're thinking about what works for you, that we're incorporating those things into your sessions. That's how you get the um, lasting results. And even with, I do a military sexual trauma group. And one of the things that we know about trauma is it's a very, um, and sexual trauma is very personal. And it's not just... Um, this mental thing, but it's, um, you see people go through like spiritually, they're questioning God and their purpose and why did this happen to me? Um, And so for that group, we have a chaplain who's one of the co-facilitators. And the beautiful thing about it is it's not like denomination based, but she can speak to that spiritual part. We do meditation, we think about yoga, and then she also allows people to really process that spiritual journey. So I don't see them as separate. Um, But I think we have to stop shaming people and saying prayer is the only way. My thing is God gave us psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, licensed marriage, family therapists, you know, the list goes on. Use the resources that we have. Mm -hmm. 
And I believe, I believe there, because there's more conversations about it, social media has done a lot of emphasis with the stars like Taraji P. Henson. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. I'm so thankful for her campaign, just making mental health awareness more in the forefront now. I am starting to see a shift with mm -hmm. my church. They are... They, my pastor said, look, I am not the end all be all. I'm going to refer you to a counselor. I have a list and um, you can use us both. So yep. I, I'm happy to see that. I really am happy to see that. I'm in agreement with you. I do feel like it's a shift happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, and even with churches, even my home church back in Virginia, they reached out and asked about um, what, what are the strategies for dealing with COVID-19? Like, what are we going to get, you know, and being able to provide that to the church. So I think churches, um, and that's how you make the change. It's like, mm -hmm. you, you know, you're getting that message from multiple people, the celebrities, social media, your family and friends, and, and then having your religious leaders also um, sharing that same message. And speaking of COVID-19, I recently read um, Essence Magazine's study on mm -hmm. the impact of COVID-19 on Black women. I just wanted to read some of the stats um, because it is very alarming. It says that one in four Black women personally knew someone who died from COVID-19. 44% know someone who contracted it. And 63% of Black women state that their mental health has been negatively affected. And this wow. is out of a group of 1,048 women. And this was just all last month. Wow. 63% of Black women state that. And so with that major impact of mental health being affected, what are, what are the, um, explain how does that affect not only the women that are heading up most of these Black households, but how does that affect the, their families as well? Yeah. Wow. Those stats are alarming. Mm -hmm. uh, when you think about like, women, um, particularly, you know, if they have, a, let's start with if they have a family. Mm -hmm. So um, if, you know, mom is taking on, and this is the reality for a lot of people, she's taking on working from home, mm -hmm. homeschooling the kids, you know, um, there's a partner that she may be, you know, like helping deal with whatever with the partner. Um, and then also dealing with that stress of, knowing someone who either contracted COVID-19 or knowing someone who passed from it, but also that responsibility and fear you take on of how do I protect my family? Like that in itself is enough to, you know, like just thinking about the amount of stress on one person. And for a lot of women, if we think about what we've been conditioned to do, it's like you're conditioned to endure pain and not accept help. And you know, to take on more and more, all of these responsibilities, and there's no outlet. I don't, I, I feel like in so many ways that emotionally may make you unavailable to your family, right? Like if I'm taking on all of this stress or I'm struggling to get out of bed or I'm dealing with the anxiety of, that could sort of trickle down to your children or your husband or the flow of the family. A lot of people will take that on and it's almost like the people around them don't know. And that's still a disservice because it's like all of this time you were suffering or you were struggling with these things and the people around you didn't know to be able to help you. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is like, 
as a parent um, or as a person, you're also, um, what if your children are having, you know, being impacted by this? They're not be able to go to school or play with their friends or have all of these releases. And so the children may be experiencing, you know, some sadness or disappointments about things that aren't happening or feeling a little worried that they might get sick. And so it's just like this thing where the whole family could be impacted, um, which is a lot, but I think that there are ways that, you know, some of that could be managed so that it doesn't just feel like, oh, there's this horrible outcome. I think that part of it for the women is acknowledging what you're going through, like acknowledging what you're feeling um, and identifying ways of how do I, one, ask for help and accept it if I need it. Two, how do you still, in the midst of all of that, try to do those coping strategies that are still within your reach and, you know, take some of that pressure off with, you know, the children, the husband, the household. So maybe one day the house isn't as clean as it normally is. But if that means that you get to rest all day, then you deserve that day of rest and you can handle that another day. Um, yeah. No, those are really good points. And um, just speaking about the impact of the children as well. A lot right. of times we're just seeing the adults running around with all these masks on, but imagine what the children are thinking about seeing all of this happening around them. And um, I'm not sure if a lot of talk is being done on that issue. So yeah, good point. And I think it's important because in all of this, um, there was like a meme going around, like maybe like two weeks ago where it was like, you know, we're not praising the kids enough for what they're going through. Like their whole childhood has been disrupted um, and being able to acknowledge that. And so I'm of the mindset that you can have um, really like child appropriate, age appropriate conversations with your children that are truthful um, and also make sure to have those check-ins with them to see how they're doing or, you know, validate their feelings when they are disappointed so that they're having an outlet during this process too. Absolutely. You, you touched on a few of the coping strategies that Black women can um, do during this time, but can overall, can you provide not only Black women, but just us as a community, what can we do as we're managing stress during this time? And even outside of COVID-19, overall, mm -hmm. what can we start doing? Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that I often ask people is like, you know, when you're feeling your happiest or the most like yourself or relaxed or at peace, you know, sort of like fill in the blank, what are you doing? Like, think back, what were you doing? So, you know, for the people, and then we can start from there. So that's how you can sort of personalize it to yourself. I'm um, real big. One of the first steps, um, you know, is something we call behavioral activation, which is like, get moving, do something. Don't just sit around in the bed all day. Don't lay around all day. And I'm not saying like, you don't have your days of rest, but if there are, there are some people who it's hard to get out of the bed, yeah. like just to get out. Like they're like, oh, I got out to eat and got back in the bed. That's not going to help you. So the first thing that is, how do you get active? Whatever that looks like for you. Is it a walk? Is it taking an online workout class? Is it a run? Like, what is it? Let's get you active. Um, the second thing would be 
connecting in the ways that you can with other people so that you don't feel alone. And so I know a lot of that has to be virtual now, and it may not be the preferred choice, but it's what we're presented with, right? So how do you FaceTime your close friends or set up a Zoom meeting or something with your friends or a group of friends, talk to people on the phone, texting, whatever it takes to connect mm -hmm. so that you're not just, especially for people who live alone or may not have family where they are, how do you still connect and engage? And then the other strategies, you know, that you think about, um, for some people, it could be like journaling, really being able to release those emotions and not in like a diary, this is what I did today type of thing. But if there are feelings that you're having or thoughts that you can't get out of your mind, put that down on paper because that's a release. It gets it out of your body um, and puts it out, you know, and you have it there. Um, other strategies, what else would I suggest for people? It could be um, a new thing. Oh. A veteran actually talked to me about this. So I saw it. Um, I feel like I saw this maybe, I don't know, maybe on social media or something. And I shared it with a veteran who was having a difficult time getting motivated. Um, but YouTube has so many videos of motivational speakers or people sharing their journey or in whatever ways that you need to feel motivated. And so what this person was able to do, like we literally went on YouTube, like who are some of your favorite speakers? Who are you inspired by? And being able to hear that each day sort of gave this person like that jump he needed to get going. And so that is something I would share with people. Like if you're motivated by hearing the stories of others or having someone encourage you, get that. You think about affirmations. Uh, for some people, it could be meditation or some relaxation strategies to really clear your thoughts. And then for me, I grew up an only child. And so I know I need me time. Like yeah. that is something that's going to ground me, reset me. And so I may wake up early. I do wake up earlier than my daughter so that I can have my day where it starts with me by myself mm -hmm. because I can't start my day given to other people. I also end my day in the same way. So no matter how tired I am, yeah. I'm going to stay up late to have that me time so that I can de-stress before I lay down. And the other thing for me is I need to be outside. Like I feel rejuvenated in the sun. I need to have that fresh air. And so for as safe as it is, being able to get that outside time, that sunlight. So those are some ways that I would tell people to start thinking about it. Like look into those relaxation strategies. There are tons of apps out there now try meditation, get some exercise, journal, um, motivational videos, music. Yeah. And what you mentioned in the beginning, reflect back on a time mm -hmm. that made you happy. Mm -hmm. And what was it? And try to incorporate those things. I recently, um, I'm probably the only black woman that didn't read Becoming. Well, all of Becoming when the first book came, when the book Oh, I'm still back. reading it too. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't feel so bad. So it's been sitting on my coffee table for over a year because it's so pretty. I love the Yes. <laughs> However, I said, look, I have to finish this book. I cannot watch that Netflix documentary until I finish the book. Mm -hmm. But what I did, I got the Audible version on the library. It's free, everybody. All you got to do is go to the library's website. 
And I listened to Michelle Obama and her voice and her empowerment and her words. It just, I mean, I would just lay on my couch and just be inspired by mm -hmm. her vision and her words. And that helped me. For others, it may put people to sleep, but <laughs> it mm -hmm. just relaxed me. And I think what you mentioned as far as finding what works for you. Yes. Because it may not work for someone else. And so that's why, and, and the thing that I like to, you know, sort of, I guess sort of like the warning or preparation statement would be, you're going to try something and it may, you may find that, you know, when you have a low level of stress, this is all you need to do and it works. But there may be times when the stress is coming from multiple angles or it's just so intense that this thing doesn't work anymore. That's when you want to sort of go back to that toolkit. Like, okay, I went for my walk today. I'm still feeling a little sad or anxious or whatever. So now maybe I need to try this. And you just keep going and you, you sort of build up your toolkit of things that work for you um, because they're not all going to work and they're not all going to give you that outcome that you desired. And it doesn't mean you failed. It just means that isn't your thing. Now let's figure out what is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think those are great tips. But what happens when we don't you know, take the steps necessary to get treatment, to care for ourselves mentally and emotionally. Are there long-term impacts for us? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because as you were saying that, it, almost, it made me think about in the same way that a lot of times with medical conditions, by the time um, Black people go to the hospital, it's like at a you know later stage or it's more severe because they didn't go to the doctor when they had those first warning signs. Mm -hmm. And so your treatment has to be you know more intense or you know your outcome may not be as well because during those early warning signs, you didn't get that early intervention. And I think part of that is just, again, we're taught to endure. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing with mental health. A lot of times, there's like, you know, those early warning signs, like I'm not feeling like myself or, you know, the things that I used to do, I'm not doing them as much. Or even when I'm out with my friends, you know, I'm with them, but it doesn't really feel the same. I'm not myself. Yeah. That's a clear indicator that you need to go in then, but people may not do it then. It may not be until it's almost at a breaking point. And then they come into, you know, like they have, I can't take it anymore, I need help. And so the impact is that these things, sometimes they may naturally resolve or the stressor may go away, but sometimes what happens is just that it piles on, it piles and piles. And then by the time, like you're, now you're starting to see, you know, for some people, I'll use trauma, for example, because this is like a clear sort of um, what it looks like a lot of times in my work with veterans. There was a traumatic experience that happened. Um, that person endures. So I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. I don't need help. I should be able to manage this. Um, now I need something to help me get through this, right? Like I can't handle this on my own. So the drinking might start up. Or now you're looking at substance use because I'm tired of the nightmares. I'm tired of the fear. But if I take this substance or drink this drink, I don't feel it as much. Then you start to have, you know, some people may start to have legal troubles because now you're getting DUIs or things like that. Now it's starting to impact your performance at work. 
Um, so you lose your job. That's going to impact your family. So now, you know, you're looking at separation, divorce. People will go through all, all of those steps before they come to therapy. And by the time they come, all of those things have happened. And it's like, wow, like you can see how each stressor, like you, it all started with this trauma and had, and I don't blame the person because a lot of times our community doesn't have the information. So they don't even realize that this is trauma because for some people, you know, the trauma might be this one experience for some people, the community they grew up in was trauma. And so now we're compounding what it is, but that felt like normal. So I didn't even know that this was something that I should seek help about. That's where we have to make the change because by the time they come and you're like, wow, this is trauma. They're like, what? Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, (laughs) this was trauma or, and it's like, no, or this is depression. Like, no, this is depression. Um, So a lot of it is that education. We don't know. And so if we can teach people, what those warning signs are, um, how it may look differently, how, you know, all of these things, then maybe that could also help people come in sooner. No, that, that's great. And I, I think the, the education early on um, is important, whether it's in the schools or at the job. So I'm very thankful that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of the excuses that we may hear in the Black community is that yeah, I don't have insurance. I can't afford going to counseling. That's a rich person's thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear from you. I mean, is that a rich person's thing to do? Are there low cost mental health services available so that excuse can no longer be used? Mm-hmm. There are absolutely services available. Um, I think what rich people have the luxury of is that they can pay out of pocket. And so sometimes people will pay out of pocket depending on their job or if they don't want it, you know, on their record, um, or it allows them more flexibility in who they can see. Um, but there are definitely low cost. So for a lot of, if you do have insurance, you can search, um, either through your insurance or there are like websites that you can search, um, and look for providers and you can search by a variety. So if you, for example, were to go to psychology today, you could search for providers who are within a certain like distance from your home. You can search by providers who accept your insurance. You can search like if you want an African-American provider, you can search by that. And you can also look on there. There are providers who provide um, sliding scale fees which just means that they will charge you based on your income. So, mm -hmm. and it's a good thing. And, you know, a lot of times you just make the assumption like, oh, they only accept insurance. But if you talk to providers or ask about those things, you can find out um, maybe they have some openings where they can give you services at a reduced cost. Another service that um, people should look into, particularly if you're in a place where there are colleges or universities with like counseling psychology, clinical psychology or something like that. They have um, community-based clinics on campuses. Mm -hmm. And um, what they do is they also provide either free or reduced rate um, services. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, I went to George Washington University for a graduate school. We would do assessments. And so it may be that a graduate student is doing the work, but we would do assessments. We would do 
um, therapy, but we were supervised by a licensed clinical psychologist. And a lot of times they would observe us live. So it might be they're behind the mirror or they will listen to our recording. So you're still getting um, the supervision from that or the oversight from that licensed professional, but you're getting these services. A lot of people that I saw was like absolutely free. Oh, wow. Um, it and, was for mm -hmm, and the colleges. Is it still bound by the confidentiality agreements? Yes. And so this is something for all the listeners too. like, um, I feel like in a lot of ways, like we're so afraid and we've been conditioned to keep things to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Don't tell anybody your bit, our business, this is the family and all of that. But in a lot of ways outside of the confidentiality and each provider should tell you that during the first session, before you start therapy, there are limits to confidentiality. Those limits usually are if you are a harm to yourself or others. Um, so meaning like if you want to kill yourself or you're saying you're gonna kill someone else, if there's any type of child or elder abuse. So like um, if you're reporting that you're hurting a child or you know, or an elder or something like that. And also in some states, it depends on if you had, and if you report any child abuse that occurred to you. So some states will say, you know, at a certain point, it doesn't matter anymore. For some states, whether you're 30 and it happened when you were five, they will still sort of, you still have to file that. So there are some limits to confidentiality, but overall, and when you're in a training program, your supervisor will have access to that. If you're at a medical facility, something will go in the record indicating that you saw a provider, but everything else is confidential. And I think that in a lot of ways, it's the most protected relationship that you could have. Um, and there are, again, some limits to that in times when that has to be disclosed. And when that happens, you still, your provider should have that conversation with you. So when I was working with children, that was always the thing that um, sort of increased my anxiety because if there was report of physical abuse or a child showed me a mark, then it's like, oh, you know, we have to have this conversation. But I found it most helpful when I called the parent and sort of had that discussion and say, this is what we need to do. Times have changed, I think before, you know, people were so protective because it was like the first step was always remove the child from the home. A lot of times now it may look like working with, and families may not want to do that either, but a lot of times families are feeling overwhelmed. And so it may connect you to services and resources that helps relieve some of that too. Okay. So yes. And then the other things, I'm sorry, that I'll add to the low cost, in addition to like universities and counseling centers, check for the sliding scale fee. If you have a job that offers employee and an employee assistance program, you can get, I think, up to like six sessions for free. And then also look and, you know, any community mental health clinics will provide services at a reduced rate. Are they offering any type of virtual sessions right now because of COVID-19? Mm -hmm. um, most providers are providing virtual services right now. And it's been interesting, actually, because um, I feel like as a result of that, 
more people are reaching out for services. So people who before may not have been able to travel to a location Mm -hmm. or thinking about work or the responsibilities of how am I going to get there and, you know, pick my kids up or get dinner ready or whatever. A lot of people are now able to engage in therapy because you can get those services via video. So um, some people are doing video and telephone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And with everyone now talking about, you know, the need to take care of ourselves mentally, maybe there will be more of a shift for our community mm-hmm. to be engaged since we have much more options now. At least right. that's my hope. That's my hope too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the more we go and talk about it and talk about it openly, it breaks down those barriers and that stigma and that idea that, you know, this isn't for us or, oh, I thought people had to be really sick to go to therapy or whatever it is. It's like the more we normalize it, then you're helping someone else live their truth and say, okay, maybe this is something I could benefit from too. Yes. And I think part of that too is to remove some of these labels that Mm -hmm. we put on people who may want to go to counseling or who's having a bad day. We have to take away the labels of, oh, they're crazy or Mm -hmm. homie, she's just a little touched. And, you know, we (laughs) say things. (laughs) Yeah, you're so right. You know, and it's it's normal in our community, but we have to get out of that. We really Mm -hmm. do because it's harming us. You know, we're the ones that are significantly impacted. You're right. So part of destigmatizing is also watching the language that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that we use in like everyday language and we use it incorrectly. Um, you know, like people always like, oh, I have OCD or that person bipolar because, you know, they got angry. And it's like, um, or you use it in a derogatory way. Um So we do have to be mindful of the words that we use and how we describe things, um, because then that also sends the message, I don't want that label, so I'm going to just go ahead and deal with what I have on my own. And even if you aren't using that language per se, don't engage with others that do or let them know that's not right. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we owe it to our community and ourselves to just cut that short. And maybe, you know, have a little snippet of education with that person to tell them why you feel that way. Yeah. Well, no, there's still a lot of work to do. But you, you brought up a point about um, the confidentiality when you, when you speak with children and things you may um, pick up during your sessions. And I think this might be a good point to kind of segue into the follower questions. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you do follow me on Instagram and Facebook, I did ask for the followers to submit questions and a lot of them did personally, uh, message me. So one question I had was I'm under 18. Can I go to counseling without my parents' permission? I thought about um, that when you were explaining that situation to see how, how would that work? It's based on where you are. So, and the age is based on that as well. So when I was working in a Maryland school, I think when they were like 16, they could sign the consent forms um, and consent to treatment. But uh, that would be based on where you are. Um, 
if you're still in school, maybe an option would be like checking in with the school counselor and um, starting there so that it's something where you're still getting some treatment somewhere that you're, you know, talking through and processing whatever it is that's bothering you. And I think in the schools it's different. Um, and then also if it felt like something where you needed more, maybe the school counselor could help that um, child sort of talk to their parents or connect them to the services that they would need. Okay. But the good thing for children and some parents don't like this is, you know, as a provider, the children, like that person is your client. So they're like your priority. And so there is like that confidentiality with your provider. Mm -hmm. Some parents want to intervene with that. And I'm still the parent. This is my assurance. I'm paying. And it's like, okay, but remember in the beginning, these are the limits of confidentiality. And you want that child to feel comfortable expressing it. And a good provider will work with that child to, if there is something that should be shared with the parent, they're going to work with your child to bring it back to you. So a lot of times, you know, as children are exploring their identity and sexuality and challenges that they're facing, or if they're experimenting, you know, with, oh, I had a drink or whatever, it's like, those aren't necessarily things that the provider has to share and disclose to the parents. But if it becomes something that is more problematic or it feels like, okay, this might be a good time. How do we set this up so that we can bring your parents in the room and have this discussion? So it sounds like there's always a disclosure with mm -hmm. your client, whether, and the client again could be a teenager. Mm -hmm. State, you know, this might be a good time to bring in the parents. This is how I see us doing that or maybe mm -hmm. collaborating on that. Right. And then in that way, it empowers that child so that it doesn't feel like here's another adult forcing me. It's sort of like, okay, maybe, you know, how do we share this? How do you think your parents going to respond? What can we do with that? Um, and then a lot of times I would sort of put parents aside like, okay, we're probably going to bring you in, you know, at this point. Um, and sort of just set it up so that the parents can hear what the child has to say. Now, realistically, that does not always work well. Sometimes parents do have a difficult time um, listening to their child or listening to the challenges and the ways that they've dealt with it. Um, but a lot of times it does work. And that in itself is also creating that um, bond between the parents where now the parents and child, you know, child where they can now have these conversations and replicate it in other ways. Okay. Well, one of the reasons why I brought that up too, because I have seen a trend on social media where you do see a lot of young people um, being very vocal on Facebook. I'm, I'm seeing that now more than ever as far as the expression of feelings. And sometimes I think it's good, sometimes I think it's bad, but I'm glad that this, um, young girl asks the question about, you know, seeking counseling, because mm -hmm. I do think while it's okay to express oneself on social media, there are, there might be treatment that's needed with certain conditions. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And um, did you want to add on to that? I was thinking, cause I'm like, oh, I wonder with the kid, do they still have access to like their, their counselors now, you know, with everything being virtually? How would that look? I was sort of starting to think that through. That's a good question. Um, and I'll definitely follow up and ask them offline mm -hmm. about that. Speaking of social media, here's another question from a follower. 
While social media has elevated positive images of Black women and the culture, it also has a devastating effect on realism. What emotional impact is this trend having on the younger generation? And how do you think we can individually play a part in bringing real Black women to the forefront? Wow. This is an interesting, like, this is another thing that is so different for the children now, right? Because, and I mean, not just, let's be clear, it's not just for children, it's for all of us, right? Yeah. Um, because people post, I mean, if we just go through, like, the People are going to post what they want you to see or know about them on social media. So I'm giving you the curated version of my life. You don't know the story behind the picture. You don't know how many times I had to take that picture to get it perfect. You don't know about, you know, whatever challenges I'm dealing with outside of it. You're just getting this curated version. And so even though we know this, even though we may do this, when you see it, it may feel like, wow, they really got their life together. So if you think about like people and their careers, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, they really got it together or how they're managing their children or their spouses. Or, you know, it might look like, why can't I hold it together? And I'm looking at this person managing all of these different aspects. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with like, so I feel like that's one area. And then the other thing is like the physical components of it. So like people, and I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know that this was a thing, maybe until like last year. Like you see people and it's like, oh, you know, they're working out and they look this way. Or for the young kids, it's like, you know, I feel like you're growing up looking at these people with this quote unquote, perfect body, perfect image. But then behind the scenes, there's all of this like surgery and you know, all of these body enhancements that's happening that they may not necessarily share with you. Mm -hmm. So you think this person either naturally have these, you know, features, or they worked out to get it. They're Mm -hmm. showing us the workout and getting work done behind the scenes. But then it sets up for all of us, these unrealistic expectations. So we're working and striving and comparing ourselves to something that's not even based on reality and not to say that that's not for everyone there are some people who have it together and everything that they're showing is true um but i think when you start to think about Mm self-esteem how do you look at yourself how do you feel about yourself do you need that filter you know like are you enhancing your photos because you're not confident with who you are and how you look and you know all of those things it can impact our mood so you know, you're looking at everyone who looks like they have it together or they're doing all of these great things and you're unable to do that. And so now you're feeling sad or lesser than yeah. um, it can contribute to anxiety um, because it puts this pressure on you that I need to do this. I got to do this. And it's like all of these ways that it impacts us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that we can change that is by living our truth. You know, like how do we... display when we're having those tough times and a lot of times you know I feel like maybe it's like a thin line but there are some people on social media like if they express even a little bit of sadness people are like oh you know go get a therapist get off of here don't we don't want to see the hard times 
or we want the hard times when you give us a, a happy ending at the end. I was struggling, but now I'm here. But a part of it could be just being real. And if it's not only on social media, do that with your friend circles, do that with your family, the people you're connected to. If you're having a challenge, communicate that. If you had a rough day, being able to share that with people. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I personally had to take on. So the, you know, the other side of that is if you look like you always have it together, then people assume you always have it together. They assume everything's perfect for you, that you don't need help, that they don't need to reach out. Um, and that's not true. And so what I had to start doing is sort of saying, this is hard. This, this pandemic and what we're dealing with in homeschool and work and not being able to do things as we normally would is hard. And sharing that with people so that they understand I'm a full person. Yes. Um, so I think that those are parts, you know, different ways that we can start to shift that. If you have young kids too, being able to talk to them mm -hmm. and again, check in with them and showing them real models so that it's not all based on what social media is presenting, but that they can see that fullness as well. I like it. it and it's also about having that balance. Mm -hmm. And if you are, um, and I would recommend being on your children's phone to see who they're following on yeah. social Ooh, media. Yes. Because if it's all just the stars or the people that you mentioned earlier who, you know, unfortunately are getting these body enhancements or different things done to themselves, it does create that false perception mm -hmm. that um, this is how I should be. So maybe encourage them to follow maybe more motivating speakers or young people who are actually doing some positive things in the community. And I would say the things, same thing for us adults, you know, because we fall victim too to social media because mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us, it's an escape from mm -hmm. our real world to jump online. So... No, that's some good advice, Dr. K. Mack. Um, okay, so let me. Here's a question from, huh, and this just kind of broke my heart. Um, I received this question because I'm originally from Boston, and growing up in Boston, we did not have a lot of authority figures that look like us. Mm. You know, um, you know, I grew up in the 70s, 80s, and it, and it was hard. So when I received this, it, I kind of knew where he was going. He said, from being discriminated against at work to seeing images of Black men being constantly gunned down, I know I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Problem is, I'm a Black man who lives in an area that doesn't have many licensed counselors who look like me. Can you provide me some temporary coping strategies and what resources are available to find a culturally competent counselor? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's the hard one, right? Um, and it's a reality for a lot of people. Um, and just with, you know, even with seeing the violence against other Black people, now we have so much access to it. So it's not just limited to what we watch on TV, but it's also social media. And so one of the, I mean, just in general, one of the things that I tell people is if you need to unplug, like don't watch the videos, don't get caught up in that and not saying you don't still have the power to make a change or stay informed, but you don't have to watch the killing to understand 
what happened and to still take some sort of action steps if that's what you want to do. Because the repeated watching of those type of things will have an impact on you. Um, so that would be my first thing. And then the second thing would be, it's hard when you're in a location um, a lot of times that may not have providers who look like you. Again, you can go back to those places like what, this was a man, but for women, they, you can go to psychology today. You can go to therapy for black girls. I think they, for women, and I wanna say, I'll look it up. I think it's one that was started um, on social media that's like a therapy for black men. I'll give you the exact name, but those may be some starting places and particularly now where everything is um, sort of changing to um, this virtual format. Maybe they're not in your city, but they're in your same state. So now you can widen the uh, area of who you can see. So that may be something too. Um, the other thing is, it's therapy for black men. Yeah. Therapyforblackmen.org. Okay. So that's another one. Um, and like I said, now you're not limited to people who are, because a provider who's licensed can see anyone in that state. So if I'm licensed in Maryland, whether you're in, you know, PG County or Baltimore, I can still see you. So you can now expand that distance and maybe there are providers in your state. Um, those search engines will allow you to find people who look like you. And then they can also find, you can start to ask questions. Like when you're working with the provider, I tell people it, you know, therapy is about a fit. And yeah. so that relationship with your provider, that trust, that fit is key to your treatment. And so in the beginning, you might meet with someone and it's like, I don't know what it is, but I'm not vibing with that person. That's okay. Find another person. But you can also treat those sessions like an interview. Not necessarily just an interview, but like you can ask questions to see if, you know, if they say on their website that they're culturally competent, ask them some questions and see how they respond. Mm -hmm. Ask them if they've worked with Black men of your age group or demographic. Ask them, you know, like so that you can get more insight to that provider um, to see if they're culturally competent. Um, and then there are some online resources like I've seen where people have hosted like online, um, it may not be necessarily a therapeutic group, but more like a therapeutic space uh, for men online. Uh, in terms of strategies, it kind of depends on what you're dealing with. So again, um, if it's related to just that stress and trauma of being a black man and the things that you've been exposed to, um, how does that, I, I guess is more like, how does that manifest for you? Cause that's going to give you an idea of what strategies might be helpful. So I would say connect to people maybe who've had your experiences where you can sort of like lift each other up or you feel heard or you feel, um, like this is home. Like, okay, it's not just me. Um, sometimes being in groups and spaces like that allows you to see how someone else got through it or how they're getting through it, how they're dealing with it, what helps them. And then you can try those things out for yourself. Um, again, unplug if you need to. Um, and then if it's possible, you know, we can't always control what the work environment will look like. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, like working on that military base and 
being, you know, the only black psychologist was a very trying time for me. And it was also a very clear indicator that I needed to separate myself from that job. And so if there are, if you have that ability, it's like almost get yourself out of the traumatic environment because it's going to be too triggering to stay there. And so maybe surround yourself with people who will support you or Mm -hmm. Um, help you with your resume to Mm -hmm. increase your visibility, different things like that. Absolutely. All important tools to utilize. Um, So I have so many more questions, but I, and I think we can end with, let's see. Okay. So I'm going to, I shall ask you two more. One is I'm thankful I started counseling. But how do I get other Black men to see the value in therapy without appearing weak? Mm-hmm. Sharing your story. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's hard for men. There, I mean, there's this, even with men now, like I work with veterans. So it's like primarily men. I'm in D.C. So it's primarily Black men. Mm-hmm. And there's just this... Um, I don't know, I guess in the same way that it's like you have to be a strong black woman, there's this sort of thing that going to therapy isn't manly. Um, But if you share your story or what therapy does for you, or you, you know, you sort of talk about it in your everyday language, like my friends and I, we started out having these Zoom um, meetings on Wednesdays, they were like a happy hour. Now I feel like they've turned into like soul sessions to some extent. But, you know, like some of the conversation is like, oh, when I was talking to my therapist, da, 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 da. and I'm like, oh, my God, look at us like just talking about it casually. Yeah. Um, I have so, best mm-hmm. conversations with other people who have gone to therapy or who are actively in therapy because yeah. conversations are so much more authentic truthful i mean we we dig deep mm-hmm. and um so i totally agree with that and feeling comfortable with that or being able to you know like in those not like you're drilling it down on a person but mm-hmm. if you can even speak to like oh yeah i remember when i was dealing with that and when i went to therapy you know i sort of worked through da 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 now and this is what i do and it's sort of like you're giving them an example of not only are you in therapy this is what you did and how it helped you Um, And that could be the example. If there are people in your lives who you feel like, you know, you've noticed some significant changes Mm -hmm. and they're not themselves, um, maybe they're drinking more or maybe they're not answering the phone when you call or, you know, how you see a friend and it's like, you know, she or he, they don't normally look like this when I see them. Like, it's just not, you know, maybe they haven't gotten a haircut in a while or, you know, everybody hanging out and having fun, but this person sort of to the side and they don't feel like themselves. Sometimes it may take going to a person one-on-one, mm. like, you know, yo, what's up? I, everything good. And, you know, our natural response a lot of time is, oh, I'm good. And it's like, okay, well, this is what I noticed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've, I had to personally do this to some, a friend. And when I tell you, I forgot I was a psychologist, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. It does not feel because you don't want them to feel bad. But it's one of those things where it was like, I've noticed you've been talking like this or, you know, the last few times I saw you, you didn't look like yourself. So you can't now you can't tell me it's good. Mm -hmm. And then you can maybe start that conversation one on one. 
a lot of times that conversation may have to continue, but it could be a starting place. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask, how do we start conversations either with our friends, family members, coworkers, whomever, where we do notice that something mm-hmm. is, a, is a, you know, it, it just doesn't seem right or doesn't seem like their normal self. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we even begin a conversation like that? So, I mean, a lot of times I feel like, and it depends on the relationship. And again, things are different now because sometimes I'm a person where I feel more comfortable having those type of conversations face to face Okay. because I like to soften, you know, like you can, I, I read body language a lot. And so I can sort of feel where I can push a little more or not. Um, or I I would feel less comfortable in during doing it during a text message, but if it happens that way, it happens. But the first thing that I would do is like what I said, like, how, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Just to, just to open it up. Um, I've had people where I've done that and they say, actually, I'm not doing well. Like I'm stressed about this, this or that. And like, Oh, I noticed like, you know, da, 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 da. Like what can I do to help? What do you need from me? Sometimes it may just be they need a friend. Sometimes people want to be able to have a space where they can just say what they need to say without judgment. Sometimes they may give you like an active step. Sometimes your friends are going to say, I don't need anything. And if they're your friend, you know they need something. So you still show up for them in whatever ways you think that friend may need. So it could be sitting with them. It could be if they're struggling with you know, something, can you send them something or, you know, have it delivered to their home or something to let them know, I see you. A lot of times people just want to be seen and heard and not feel judged in that process. So I would just start it with, how are you? How are things going? I know it's hard right now with us all being home and having to homeschool. How are you dealing with that? Sort of like give them an example (laughs) or something to pull from where I know, you know, you normally would be go home and visit your family. You haven't been able to do that. How are you handling that? Everything good? Yeah, that's a good segue because it eases them because you're talking Mm -hmm. about something familiar, family. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And sometimes you can use yourself like um, just in that you know, same way, like use yourself, like if you're struggling with something or if you've dealt with something that you think they are, sometimes if you use that, you can um, normalize it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, when we look at social media and everything else, we think everyone else has it figured out but us. Yeah. Yeah. Just having, having those open conversations and um, in a, in a non-judging you have to do it with the right people too. I, I think that's key. Where you right. don't feel like you're going to be judged or labeled by opening up. Right. Those are all good, all good steps to take. You know, Dr. Kim, I think we could sit here and talk for another hour. <laughs> I, honestly, <laughs> this is such a great subject, so needed. And it was on my heart for so long. I wanted to do this you know, a few months ago when we were acknowledging Valentine's Day, because I'm like, wait a minute, mental health is all about self-love and we need to love on ourselves. And, you know, life life just takes us where it took us now, where we're in the month of mental health and awareness. So I'm glad mm-hmm. we're having this conversation now. Um, but before we go, can you tell us more of how we can find you on social media and um, just tell us more about, about 
Black Mental Wellness Corps? Yeah, so we are on social media, Instagram, Facebook at Black Mental Wellness. Um, we're also on Twitter at Wellness Black. And then you can also find us um, by going to blackmentalwellness.com, where we have tons of resources related to mental health, wellness, different mental health disorders, coping strategies, resources in the community, you know, books, podcasts, videos on YouTube. We also have, I forgot to mention this, we have a training program. Um, and so part of our mission is really how do we prepare the next generation of mental health professionals. And so we have a national mentor program where we connect students, undergrad and graduate students to a um, team member where we meet with them twice a month. We do different projects and things to prepare them for graduate school during graduate school or a career afterwards. And then we also have an internship program where we work more individually with people. So we're doing a lot of work um, to try to prepare that next generation of mental health providers. And then we just launched our first, um, what are, I guess, t-shirt line, Authentically Me, um, which is a collection of t-shirts where each member of our team, so there are four of us, we sort of picked a word, a phrase, or words that maps onto what's your story? How, what is, you know, living your life authentically What's a word that sort of channels and describe your story? And so each person picked a word. Um, so I was resilient. Team members had pain, passion, purpose. My um, piece is more important. And then one person had get over it, which was a term that, you know, in a lot of Black communities, you hear like, you need to get over it. She crossed it out and put get through it. Um, and so it's really about how do we live our authentic selves encouraging other people to live authentically and to share their stories. And these are not things that we have to hide or shy away from or, you know, be embarrassed about, but really how do we use that story and, you know, use that as a part of who you are now, where you're going, uh, your career, who you are personally, things like that. So the Authentically Me collection, uh, we launched that on May 11th. Oh, wow. That's great. And you know what? My aunt in Virginia, I know you're from Richmond, Virginia. I'm from Richmond. Yes. <laughs> she lives in the Hampton Roads area. She knew that I was going to talk to you today and she looked at your website and she said she already ordered two t-shirts. And Aww. I think one of them is um, my piece is more important. And that just resonates with me as well. And one of my coping strategies has been to schedule time when I talk to my family. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, because sometimes you just have to block out, you know, mm -hmm. moments in your life. And, and I, that resonates very strongly with me. So I'm happy to hear about the line. And I know it's going to do successful because we need to see it. We need to see it. And I think, too, that will spark conversation. Mm -hmm. That's what we thought of. Like, how do you have, like, conversation starters? Mm -hmm. So someone may see you, and then it's like that, that opens up that conversation where you can talk to someone about the shirt or what it means to you or things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yes. We're yeah. going to have – we're also launching next month, like, a Let's Be Honest campaign where we're encouraging people to again be honest about their journey and express their mental health and their process through art photographs stories poetry rap song whatever like let's just be honest about it so that 
the more we see it and we see like, oh, other people are dealing with this. Again, we help normalize it. I love it. I love that. That's going to be amazing. I would love to be a part of that too. Yes, I'll keep you updated on it. Please do. So my last question for you, because you know, this is, you know, I love to incorporate food into this show because, you know, why not? Um, (laughs) After a long day of listening and managing the care of others, what's your go-to comfort food or beverage? Ooh. (laughs) I had to put beverage in there because, you know, sometimes we may need a little wine. Sometimes we might, right? Yeah, especially now. So it's interesting because my go-to food now has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, So whereas before... I love pizza. Like mm. I love pizza, like good pizza. Yes. But um now it's turned to like soul food, which is interesting. Um and I know why. Like part of it is I I normally wouldn't like cook a lot of soul food at home. I wait till I go home to Richmond with my family and I eat whatever I want. Whatever they're cooking, I want it. And I want my sweet tea with it. I want dessert. <laughs> I want a roll. I want my southern food, you know? Okay. Um, and I can't get that anymore. So again, I'm being impacted too. And not being able to go home during those holidays, like Easter really bothered me. Mother's Day really bothered me that I couldn't go home home. But what I started doing um, with my aunt is every Sunday we have soul food lessons. And when I tell you, I look forward to that because it's like, I can't go home, but I can bring a piece of home here with me. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Dr. Kamek, for taking time to enlighten us today. I like to encourage everyone to follow Black Mental Wellness for daily inspiration and tips on managing your mental health. Thanks for listening to the Appetizing Conversations podcast. If you like this show, you are welcome to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to receive more empowering content along with tasty recommendations, you can follow me on Instagram at appetizing.conversations. Talk to you soon.